you know, the whole concept of, you know, getting direct from farmers, you know, making an actual effort to go, you know, I don't want styrofoam boxes. I don't want these, you know, wax boxes. Go, you know, I want you know, to bring it to me in crates and then you can return it. Like, those are the steps that we can take to, you know, make, make a huge change. And I, I do see that happening. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Food waste, sustainability, providing paths and better lives for those that are disadvantaged and trying to ensure the world is a better place for everyone now and future generations too. Never in our history have these things been more front of mind and vital to act upon. How do you approach these complex issues and affect change, particularly in the food industry? Jeswick is the head chef of Refettorio Oz Harvest in Sydney. Jez, how are you? I'm really good, thank you. How are you? Good. You've got a very, very unique job in the, in the world of food. Um, tell us a little bit about what you do. I do have a very um, interesting job and I feel very lucky um, to be able to be in this space. Um, the Refettorio is um, part of Massimo Bottoro's um, Food, for Troll, uh, Food for Soul charity. Um, and this is the first one to open in Sydney and it opened uh, this year, earlier this year. It's been in the make for a couple of years, but due to COVID, you know, things got changed and um, things got moved around. Um, yeah, and so it's a really beautiful space and it's all been kind of donated from uh, different donors that we are involved in um, with the charity Oz Harvest as well. Uh, yeah, and we feed um, all different types of vulnerable community and people suffering from food insecurity, social isolation. Yeah, all sorts, really. And it's, it's a fascinating concept because it's also sort of um, trying to raise money and inject money into that sort of area as well. So you're not only cooking to help disadvantaged, you, you also cook for people that are able to donate. Is that right as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we do dinners and different events that people can use the space, uh, mostly fundraising to keep us open, really. Um, and it's all rescued food. So everything is, it's very much zero waste um, uh, kind of vibe. And yeah, a lot of everything that we do is based around um, sustainability, zero waste, and yeah, and kind of bringing kind of beauty and dignity back to, you know, vulnerable communities. Oz Harvest is an extraordinary um, thing that's been created by Ronnie Khan many, many years ago. Tell us how you create your menus. Are you accessing um, produce that would have gone to waste? And does, does that then affect how you put these things together? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, obviously working with Oz Harvest, which is a brilliant charity, um, a food rescue charity, uh, We so the way that I kind of work it out is that with all the drivers that go out every day, there's about 20 drivers that go around to different places or, yeah, all around Sydney, um, rescuing food that we're going to landfill. And I mean tons, tons and tons every single week, which is totally insane. Um, and so I, you know, work with the drivers and work with logistics teams to, you know, all that stuff comes back to he- uh, the headquarters um, in Alexandria in Sydney. And, you know, I kind of create a menu. We cha- I change the menu every week pretty much and um i just kind of find anything i can find and just make it up on the spot and create amazing amazing three course meals for people i want i want to delve into the world of you know the sort of dishes that you can create from from that um but but what are the main issues like where where is a lot of the waste coming from that we may not be aware of uh well a lot from supermarkets to be honest I would say supermarkets are the biggest um, place that we rescue from. Um, you know, nearly 50 to 60% of what you see, you know, in the supermarket is going to go into landfill, you know, because of sheer abundance. Yeah, Australia Australia is one of the worst in the world for food waste. 
um, and also cost, you know, from a sustainability point of view um, and climate change point of view, creates a lot of issues. So, yeah, Australia's, a, Australia's up there with the top, you know, of, uh, sorry, top country, top countries in the world of food waste, which is pretty shocking. Absolutely. Is there particular products that sort of, that you have to work with a lot that tend to sort of end up in, in waste? No, not really. There's no specific kind of, you know, product. It's, it's all a range of all, like everything. Like we pick up from Marley Spoon. Marley Spoon donate to us as well, which is a couple of maybe about three or four pallets a week. So a lot of the stuff that I serve at the Refettorio is, you know, I'm kind of delving deep into um, every Wednesday when it comes in. I just kind of, it's all just amazing produce, you know, this ginger and garlic and black garlic and beautiful produce that I can just make up, you know, there's amazing menus with. You know, I'm really not limited in what I can do really because of the sheer amount of that I can rescue, which is brilliant, really. Has this role changed your um, perception and approach in regards to food? Yeah, I think this role has definitely, but I was kind of already on the path, uh, already kind of living this kind of way and cooking this way for probably a couple of years now when my life started to change a bit. Um, It's the whole thing, you know, once you see something, you can't unsee it, right? So when you see a problem, you can't, you know, I can't pretend it doesn't exist. Um, yeah, and my life started to change a couple of years ago when I did start, you know, um, joining Oz Harvest and working with them before the Refettorio opened and, and really opened my eyes to a lot of things and a lot of problems. And, you know, as a chef, I feel like I have a huge responsibility to, you know, do, do something about it and also be a part of the change. Well, I want to talk to you about what we can do about it and what can be changed and quite easily too for many people. But take us back to when you were young. What was food like in, in your family? Um, well, it was like, it, it's funny though, because I didn't think it was a huge part of my life. Like my dad, you know, growing up, my dad grew his own vegetables and tomatoes and herbs and all sorts of things, which, you know, felt normal to me because that's just how I grew up. But I remember um, once going around, I must have been about 10 and I went around to my uh, granddad's house and the way he ate was like, there was such a ritual around it. You know, he would kind of have his tray, put his food on it and go sit under his favorite tree like every day. And, and it would take him over an hour and a half to eat. And I think that was my first experience of like the real kind of beauty behind it and the ritual. And I was like, and I remember just looking at him eat and I always made me hungry. And I was always like, he just ate in such a beautiful, this beautiful way. And it's really hard to describe, but there's so much kind of just gorgeousness around how he ate. And yeah, I always remember that. And I, I don't think really that um, got me into cooking really. It was um, more down the line of like not wanting to be in any kind of academia world. Really, I really hated school. <laughs> um, I don't like to be told to learn a specific thing. Um, yeah, I kind of rebelled against school and really didn't want to be a part of that system. Um, and I think, you know, that's why I probably, you know, quite common in with other chefs too, that they, you know, join when they're 16 or 17, they get into kitchens because they feel a sense of belonging and a sense of, you know, and you found community really. Well, take us back to that time. What was it like in a commercial kitchen for you when you were first getting started? Do you have any stories of, of that? I do, yeah. Um, I first started in this French restaurant um, up in the Blue Mountains uh, with um, in this beautiful little kind of, you know, 20-seater restaurant, very fine dining kind of stuff at that time. This is, you know, over 20 years ago now. Uh, and I worked with this chef called Roger Savary, um, who is an absolute cliche of all the aggressive, egotistical chefs that are out there. Um, sorry to say, but, um, and he was absolutely hilarious, you know, but he was about 85 at the time. And I'm this 16 year old girl rocking up. Um, and he absolutely hated everyone and was screaming all the time, but some reason loved me. So I got amazing treatment and he really took me under his wing and, you know, taught me, um, sorry, taught me really, um, amazing traditional French cookery, you know, from cook to ox tongue and all these, you know, 
stuff that I find disgusting now, but um, um, at the time, yeah, really, um, really uh, amazing. And he was, you know, taught me some really good things, you know, never, one thing was never stop learning. Don't ever think that you'll be 85, 90 or however old that you'll you know, never, never think you know everything. And I think that really, you know, really stuck with me, you know, through kind of all my career, really, just to always keep learning and learning from other people and each other and all that kind of thing. Yeah. As you were building your career, what were the sort of real important establishments and people that you worked with? Um, I don't, I wouldn't actually say like specific venues really. I would more be more like, um, I got, I got, I got given a lot of opportunity when I was young. So when I left, um, Patrick's La Normandie, the French restaurant, I was there for two years of my apprenticeship. And then I moved around kind of in the Blue Mountains area and I worked at a few bakeries and certain things like that. And then I got to work, um, met a couple of like bands, like kind of like t- uh, touring managers, like. Uh, White Stripes, Iggy Pop, and I got to cook with, I got to tour with them. So I was kind of like in the right place at the right time. Um, so that's kind of, I didn't really do, you know, probably when I was young, I didn't do big venues, big named venues. Um, I did a couple of stints at, um, diff, you know, different restaurants in Sydney here and there, little stages and things like that. But um, it took me down, yeah, when I met um, the White Stripes manager, Patrick, um, he ate some of my food at a festival that I was doing, like a little food festival back in the day. And, um, yeah, I met them and they were like, oh, we love your food and um, they want to have a bit of a macrobiotic diet and I knew about that at the time. Yeah, and I got to kind of go off with them and tour around on their Australian tour and that was pretty fun. Well, Iggy Pop hits the turntable in our house a little bit. I've got to ask you, like, do you have any stories of, like, cooking for Iggy Pop and White Stripes and what you had to cook? Um, yeah, the White Stripes were pretty interesting, as you can, you know, use your own imagination about, you know, their um, drug taking days and all of that was a little bit crazy. So I didn't actually, um, in the in the three months I toured with them, I didn't actually get to cook with it for them that much. It was a lot of um, eating out at you know three chef three hat restaurants and you know lots of other crazy nights out. So um, that was an ex- that was more just like me going partying with them for three months and getting paid for it. So that was pretty fun. Um, but Iggy Pop was different. He had a, um, a specific kind of diet, a really healthy living diet. And and before he went on stage, which was pretty funny, he would just um, take in, in, inhale loads of oxygen just for, you know I guess that's for energy or something I'm not too sure but yeah he was very very clean living kind of very poetic poetic kind of guy and yeah really but that was a really beautiful experience got to cook a lot of really interesting food for him and eat out a lot of places and show him a lot of things about Australia that he hadn't seen and that was pretty fun you spent a lot of your uh, career in Europe tell us about that period of time and going over there and, and the experiences you had yeah so I they left Australia when I was about 24 now, um, about 15 years ago, um, to actually go work on yachts as a private chef. So um, at the time, I was I was working um, uh, in, By- in Byron Bay. I was head chef up there. Uh, and my exec chef and also great friend Patrick Hobbs, he had been doing that. So he's like, listen, you're young, you know, get over there and do that, have a bit of fun and make some good money and, you know, meet some good people. So, yeah, I went over there um, with the intention of working on a yacht. And, um, you know, it's not as easy as it seems. It was, it's pretty hard to be able to get that kind of work. Um, but I had, you know, big determination and a, a good little CV under my belt at that stage. So, yeah, found a really good job within a month or two. Um, and that was great. We were in Turkey. Then we went over to the Mediterranean. And I was on it for about a month and a half before I got robbed by Knife Point in Nice, um, which was a bit crazy. And that threw everything in the works. Um 
yeah, and then had to, and then the only reason I kind of went to move to London was because I had a UK visa. And obviously with the UK visa and you work um, offshore, you can have offshore work, you know, like around yachts and different things like that at different islands. Um, so yeah, and that's, well, that's what landed me in London and kind of stayed there for the next 10 years. Wow. What did you take from your time in London? Were there some experiences? Um, that's a long, long period of time that, that sort of had a real impact on you? Absolutely, definitely. On personally, personally, and on you know my career, like I met um, met my wife over there. You know that's probably one of the reasons why I stayed for so long as well, uh, and did a lot of uh, my career was you know I did a lot of different things. I was travelling a lot. I was um, travelling doing my own private weddings. I worked for boutique event companies, um, and had a lot of big change in career. I think, and that's probably what led me to living. You know, kind of going down the path of zero waste and more sustainability in the last couple of years. I was there. Um, and there was one specific um, a job that I had that really kind of started changing the way I thought about my own life and my own health. And and uh, it was a it was a beautiful little boutique place called Rocket, and very much Michelin star food that we were we were doing, and amazing chefs, and ama- you know I, I learned a lot. And I was one of the head um, sorry the head sous chef there at the time. And I remember going to the Chelsea Flower Show with them, you know, did a catering gig and it was all celebrities and, you know, the, the whole lot and amazing seafood. And we did this beautiful, you know, big display and, you know, all, all the jazz, all the gorgeousness. And at the end of the at the end of the night, you know, it was all just thrown in the bin, you know, because it's all seafood. It's been out for an hour or two and it all just, it was just bags and bags of lobster, but this, you know, beautiful things and something snapped in me and I just went, this is horrendous. Like we're part of the problem. Like I'm part of the problem. I'm, you know, like, and it was really, it was a big, it was a kind of quite subtle at the time, but I think um, the impact was huge on me and really led me down a different path of cooking and my own sense of responsibility with what I do. Tell us about that path that you've been on and is it easy to make changes and and how much has changed compared to what you used to be like in regards to, to chefing and cooking and, and food wastage? Yeah, so I think um, it's not so much my style of cooking's change. It's more um, me kind of standing strong in my values. Um, you know, so now I only cook vegetarian food. I only eat vegetarian food. Um, and I think once I saw the impact of it and how bad it is to eat meat for the environment and for ourselves, um, yeah, it, it was quite. It wasn't so much of a difficult. I had a lot of good support and a lot of good community around me. Around me you know, with all the things I was learning and new people I was meeting and especially when I moved back from overseas in 2019 and moved to Melbourne I kind of you know the power of Instagram which I think is beautiful I just reached out to people um that I was inspired by like Ben McMinnum from Social Food Project um in Melbourne I just reached out and said love what you're doing hey like what's up like can I jump on board or if you need help with anything and I think that kind of point of reference like reaching out and just kind of you know giving it and him giving me a chance and bringing me on board as a kind of you know member of chefing that he you know he had a kind of group of people with him doing things and jumped on board with him and then the whole world kind of opened of different things you know like sustainability and we did zero waste pop-ups and yeah a lot of you know and talking about kind of a utopian state of like how we should be eating invasive species if we're going to be eating any kind of meat at all you know and that kind of opened my world up again I didn't know much about that because I haven't hadn't lived in Australia for so long either. Tell us a bit about that social food project and, um, and, and what was involved in that. Yeah, so it was Ben McMinnon and he um, um, started this little company called Social Food Project uh, and he was doing all different types of events around Melbourne, all different types of sustainability events. Um, as I said before, he, used to, he had this kind of philosophy about utopian foods and, you know, it was kind of 
a world about, you know, how we should be eating invasive species. We shouldn't be farming beef. We shouldn't be doing, you know, we shouldn't be farming pigs, like all these kinds of things that, you know, we should be doing kangaroos, sea urchins, things that, you know, and kind of, and we would do workshops and things around that, you know, and showcasing these foods to people that they are accessible and they're easy to cook and they're easy to find and they're cheaper and they're better for the environment. And so we were doing things like that all around Melbourne and little things. And yeah, and he did the Melbourne Knowledge Week and we did some events there. Yeah, it was a really good time. Yeah, a lot, a lot of learning for me and a lot of big, yeah, big change for me. And you're also part of a um, COVID hospitality charity in Melbourne. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, so when the pandemic hit, um, I helped co-found, um, it was called COVID EAD. Uh, and it was, I kind of just reached out. I had spare time as kind of a lot of chefs did. And I was trying to utilize it in a way that would maybe better help other people. And at that time in Melbourne, um, a lot of international students uh, and people from different countries, you know, didn't have any access, you know, to any government help. Right. So, um, which was shocking and terrible. So, um, I just reached out to this couple of guys on Facebook that were posting who I didn't really know and just said, hey, like, why don't we start cooking for people that can either come pick it up, you know, hospitality people and um, anybody who needs it at this time in this really difficult, you know, situation everyone finds themselves in. And um, started a little um, at this little bar um, and people just used to come up to the door and we would, you know, hand out takeaway containers of food and then it just grew and grew and grew and we ended up being a year-long um, charity and we raised you know a couple of hundred thousand dollars and I think we fed uh, you know hundreds of thousands of people and um, people were delivering their food in the cars we had about 25 drivers going out every second day um, delivering the food to the people's houses that couldn't leave their houses and yeah it was brilliant to be part of such an amazing community for a year when everybody was really struggling you know it was a really hard time for people working in hospitality across the board. Well, what did it feel like for you at, at that period of time? There was a lot of uncertainty and you were involved in, in that charity helping so many people. Did it have an impact on you? In some way, it kind of had a bit of a positive impact about, you know, in a sense of, you know, in these times of need and, you know, in kind of such desperation, you know, times of such desperation that you really can band together and find community and, and build something to help other people. And, um, and I think doing that also really helped me with the current role I'm in now is that, yeah, like I feel like my life is very much directed towards helping people now, you know, and kind of, yeah, showcasing the issues and also like how can we create, how can we move these issues through and help other people with them as well? You know, it was a real, a big learning curve. Tell us about how the role at Oz Harvest came about. Um, actually through, so when I was working with um, Ben from Social Food, he um, knew a couple of the chefs that were working in Melbourne. So uh, I went along there and did a couple of casual things like they have a program called Cooking for a Cause, which is um, corporates can come and pay and we pretty much have a whole table and say, this is all the stuff that would have gone into um, landfill. Uh, and then we do a cooking class with them and say, these are all the things you can make with it. You can make pickles, you can ferment things, you can do amazing things with produce. And, you know, if it's about to go off, you can, you can turn it into this. So started doing that and it was, that was amazing. And, and that's when I started to have all my knowledge about, um, I started learning from Oz Harvest and how much food waste is going on, which is just, you know, out of this world. Um, and it starts from home. Home is the worst actually from, from, from a food waste perspective, which is pretty shocking. Um, yeah, so started with them, which was great. And then uh, my wife got a job in Melbourne, uh, sorry, in Sydney. And uh, yeah, and then um, started doing some casual things with the guys here, the team here, and the refectorio was going to open and kind of, yeah, they all thought that I was the best person to put it up. <laughs> and I was like, great, amazing. 
Well, as you mentioned a bit earlier, it's um, an Australian first. It's a social impact collaboration between Oz Harvest and Massimo Turo's Food for Soul. Tell us about that collaboration. Have you had involvement with him and what, you know, what are the goals of it? Yeah, um, I've had a bit of involvement with him. He was meant to come over, I think, when we opened, but I think due to COVID, um, everything's changed a bit. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a bit like a global community, really. We're all like through the Food for Soul, which is Massimo and his wife Lara's uh, charity. Um, yeah, we're all kind of quite connected globally. We have a lot of platforms where we, all the chefs talk and um, everyone kind of keeps up to date with all the other different repertorios, what they're doing and being, we get quite inspired by each other as well. Um, they're all, and also all the ones around the world are all quite very quite different like really different because um they're all connected to some other like a different charity so the one in the one in london felix repertorio felix that's connected to a charity and so they do a different style of kind of offering also have a massive a, a much more of a bigger space um the one in milan is attached to a church as well and so it's all kind of they're all very different and it's nice to be able to collaborate globally and and get inspiration by what everyone's doing and we're also doing a chef exchange program so i'll probably go to maybe new york or to mexico um and that chef will come over here so we'll do a little swap and be a bit more connected that way and yeah really get it out there so it's great well give, give us an idea of the sort of the average week and and how many meals and and people you're impacting yeah so we're doing probably roughly around 300 meals 300 people we're serving um every single week around 60 to 70 a day um and the impact is actually quite interesting. I, I, this is the, the part about the job that I find really beautiful. Like there's this lovely gentleman that's been coming in every week since we've opened actually and he suffers from really bad diabetes and, you know, struggles with keeping it under control and in a, you know, a healthy range. And he said that he's been going to his doctor and the doctor is so surprised about his, how much his health has changed just from coming in, you know, twice a week. And, and those stories are the, the biggest impact and the biggest, you know, really, it's really gorgeous to see that, you know, people in the community who don't have access to sometimes any fresh food or vegetables or anything that they're coming in and loving it and having a really beautiful kind of dignified experience in the space where it's really, yeah, that's, that's really beautiful to see. We've got a, a lot of chefs and, and operators as listeners on Deep in the Weeds. What, what's some sort of simple advice that can change the habits in a commercial kitchen? I think like being a little bit more kind of sustainably minded, like, you know, you can do a lot, you know, and it's, you know, I think a lot of chefs do know this, you know, you've got like, you know, the whole of the broccoli, you can use the whole thing, the whole of the cauliflower, like, you know, there's a lot of, you know, because I'm also really into fermenting and pickling and all sorts of things like that. And, you know, it's definitely becoming really popular now. And, you know, and that, that, you know, that, that means you can use everything. You don't have to really be throwing anything away at all. You know, we, we use absolutely everything. I don't, I, I, you know, I don't really have a bin. I have a little compost bin, but which is barely full every day. Um, so I think, yeah, it's just about being a little bit more maybe like imaginative in what you could do and try and try and use everything and, you know, yeah. The, the last couple of years have been incredible upheaval and there is, you know, front of mind for everyone this idea of looking after the planet and sustainability, but there needs to be a lot of action. How, how much change have you witnessed since you've made a shift? Do you, do you think there is a shift happening and how far are we from the realities of making big change? Yeah, I think there is massive little shifts happening. Like I still talk to a couple of, you know, chef friends who work in, you know, big restaurants and, you know, Michelin star restaurants and all that. And I, they see the change themselves, you know, like, and, you know, the whole concept of, you know, getting direct from farmers, you know, making an actual effort to go, you know, I don't want styrofoam boxes. I don't want these, you know, wax boxes. Go, You know, I want, you know, to bring it to me in crates and then you can return it. Like, those are the steps that we can take to, you know, make, make a huge change. And I, I do see that happening, you know, especially, you know, my... 
a person I'm really, really inspired by every single day is Douglas McMaster from um, Silo in London. And I'm very, very inspired by him. He very much changed kind of how I think about a lot of things. And, you know, and things like that, you know, direct from farmers, really understanding where your produce comes from. You know, yes, it's more expensive. Of course it is. But it's, you know, it's the way we need to go because the amount of waste that restaurants create is, you know, as we all know, just crazy. So... Well, take us into the kitchen. What's what's some of the dishes that that you're um, able to create with this um, all this waste that you have access to? Oh gosh, all sorts of things. Yeah, I change the change the menu every week actually. So there's a huge array of <laughs> different menus I do all the time. Um, yeah, all sorts of things. Like I'm making kimchi. You know, turning into arancini, smoking butter, and you know all these kind of different things really. And it's uh, uh, it's it's the most creative I've kind of ever got to be. You know, in because we are not a, a revenue restaurant place. You know, actually not a restaurant. It's not called a restaurant. It's called a, like a community hub. But um, yeah, I can kind of create anything. And it was interesting when we were going to open, actually, and people were saying, you know, um, having this preconceived idea of what people would want to eat, and they want to—they don't want to eat pickles or fermented food. Or, and it's interesting what you think people like, just because maybe they are, on, uh, you know, in suffering from different types of things, right? That you would—you wouldn't think they might want to eat these things. And now everyone's, you know, up in arms, being like, "I love coming here," you know, they love coming through the door. You know, this beautiful woman came in and she says, "Where's the fucking meat?" You know, and I ran over to her and I was like why don't you just try something I'll make you this is beautiful you know you made you something you're just like oh I don't give a shit you know like, you know, having a whole go at me and I was like okay and then brought her the brought her the food and she was like what the fuck this is amazing you know like now she comes in every day she brings all her friends from her you know from where she lives her community and she's hilarious now we're like best mates so those stories are pretty they're pretty fun you mentioned as well that you've you've sort of done pop-ups and also um, raising uh, money to sort of keep everything going and stuff like that. Are there any sort of events that you can tell us about that, you know, have been really important to you or um, have made an impact? Yeah, um, probably not. So, so at, the, well, at the moment, like, so personally at the Refertorio, we do events to raise money um, for to keep the Refertorio open, obviously because we are a free of charge restaurant. We don't charge any money to anybody. Um, and the only events we do at night um, are, you know, pretty much to showcase um, – to the community, to the paying community, what we're doing and why it's important to have this space and why it's important in communities to have this space, you know. And I know that, you know, Ronnie Khan, Ronnie Khan wouldn't mind me saying that she definitely wants to open more in Australia, which is very exciting. Um, so, yeah, I think these definitely these kinds of events for the Refertorio are very much um, needed to be able to keep the space open and running. Uh, well, you're doing extraordinary things and making such an impact. I mean, what do you love about what you're doing at the moment? Um, it's the, the impact that, that it's, you know, that we're helping people really, the impact and the, yeah, and the change I see in the community and the change I see um, in how people react, you know, kind of interact with each other. You know, some people would come in and just want to sit on their own and be quite insular and not really want to communicate. And now there's big tables of 10 and they've all met at the Refertorio. You know, they come in, you know, it's, it's and yeah, the biggest the biggest impact is that really is, is helping people and really helping people in and their health. You know, people are feeling better. Like one guy came in, he's like, I've lost five kilos, I feel amazing. Like, you know, and it's you know, and then those people who the specific ones are those people who are really insular and having a difficult time and now they're just they're now they're all just friends and they come in and they meet each other every single week at the refectorio and they're like, without you know, they say things like we don't deserve this space and it's like, Well, this is what the space is for. It's that everyone deserves beauty and dignity. It doesn't matter who you are, we're all the same, you know. 
you mentioned something um, beautiful about the project is that sort of global connectivity with um, the different food for soul sort of offerings and um, connecting with those chefs. What are you what are you hoping to do in the next couple of years uh, with the project? Yeah, so I'm hoping to very much build the chef exchange thing as well um, in terms of like how to bring us more connected with the kind of global idea of like what we, who we are as a, as a charity. Um, the chef exchange thing for me I think is super important, you know, um, in terms of, you know, seeing different communities and learning and, you know, and, and kind of learning from each other. Like some of the repertories have been open six or seven years. Like we're very new. We've only been open for six to seven months. So we're like, you know, we're the little baby over here in Australia compared to um, the other places. Um, so it would just be great to kind of see it, you know, grow and how, how, can, we, how can we be better and do, do things better. And, and I think by seeing the other repertorios and travelling around, you know, we can all improve and make the space a lot more of a beautiful space. Well, Jez, it's amazing what you're doing. It's an absolute honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear just a bit of your story. Um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Definitely. Thanks so much. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.